This is Entrepreneur's Podcast. That's entre, like Spanish for between, pre, pre, like our prepubescent sense of humor, and nerds, like the guys around the microphone. I'm Daniel, the retailer. And I'm Kareem, the realtor. And again, today on Entrepreneur's Podcast, we're talking about beer. Beer. That's what you heard at the beginning was an actual beer being opened and poured into Kareem's mouth. That is incorrect. <laughs> this interview, or this podcast includes an interview at the end with Chris Davison from Wolf's Ridge. But first, we're going to talk about Columbus Craft Beer Week. So, Kareem, when is Columbus Craft Beer Week? So, if you listen to our previous episode, you'd know that uh, Columbus Startup Week ends on May 12th. Well, that just so happens to be the day that Columbus Craft Beer Week begins. May 12th to May 20th. So this is uh, 35 craft breweries. You know, Central Ohio has 35 craft breweries, 150 beer bars, growler shops, and bottle stores, and over 300 restaurants serving craft beer, which actually makes Columbus one of the largest craft beer cities in the entire Midwest. And we are definitely uh, making our mark when it comes to craft beer. And uh, Chris, who we have on later in the show, uh, is a a really big reason why. Uh, Wolf's Ridge is a fantastic brewery. But we thought... Why don't we start out by telling you how many cool craft breweries are here. We're just going to name them for you. We'll put links to this directory on our uh, blog and Twitter, and you'll get a link to that uh, as well so that you can see um, all of these for yourself. Um, I want to thank Cheryl Harrison, who's uh, been rated Columbus's number one blogger, um, from drinkupcolumbus.com, who put together this list. Again, that's drinkupcolumbus.com, and it's slash Columbus Craft Brewery Directory with uh, hyphens in the middle. Anyway, just go to drinkupcolumbus.com. So here is a list uh, of all kinds of crazy uh, breweries. So we're going to just let you hear them. So if you recognize any of them and you're like, oh, I love that, or you don't recognize them and you want to go check it out, definitely do that. So I'll start out. Kareem and I are going to go back and forth shotgun style with these breweries. <laughs> that was a really good shotgun, Noah. Do that again. <laughs> That's the starting gun. Two Tones Brewing. Actual brewing? Antiques on High. Barley's. Buckeye Lake. The Brew Brothers. Brew Dog. Columbus Brewing Company. Combustion. Common House. Elevator. Four String. Gordon Biersch. Granville Brewing. Grove City. Hofbrauhaus. Homestead. I can't read that one. Hoofhearted. <laughs> Coaster? Hoster. <laughs> I wear glasses. Hosters. This is a bad idea. <laughs> Ill-mannered. Kindred. Naughty Pine. Land Grant. Lineage. North High Brewing Company. Loose Rail. Pigskin Brew. Platform. Random Precision. Ram. Restoration. <laughs> Rock Mill. Seventh Sun. Sideswipe. Smokehouse. Stoss. Temperance Row. Row. Three Tigers. Wolf's Ridge. Zafig. And Zauba. Small font. So clearly they were in alphabetical order. <laughs> so go check it out. Um, but so Clearly we didn't rehearse this. Why rehearse? We're just reading things <laughs> off of a screen. Anyway, drinkupcolumbus.com. Check out that directory. We will have a link to that. But suffice to say, Columbus has tons of brew, tons of beer. Uh, we're just going to tell you our favorite beers and then get into the interview with Chris because he could talk about beer forever. And it's a pretty long interview. So my favorite beer in Columbus does happen to be... Wolf's Ridge, second to some Land Grant and Platform Brews. Um, I would say it, uh, the Land Grant Greenskeeper is one of my favorite go-tos 
in the summer. I also love uh, the Daybreak uh, from Wolf's Ridge, mm-hmm. uh, which Daybreak is their cream ale, which is also fantastic. It's called Clear Sky, and they actually take the Clear Sky and filter it through uh, like vanilla flavored beans from One Line Coffee. Uh, unbelievable. And actually, Chris talks about that process and how sort of that collaboration came together in the interview. How about you? What are some uh, beers you like? As far as Columbus ones are concerned, uh, you have Clear Sky Daybreak. Uh, Creamsicle Nitro is actually really great and uh, worth a try. Um, and is that a Wolf's Ridge one as well? That's right. Oh, okay. And cool. uh, I happen to have my my favorite sort of summer one would be the Weinstefaner Hefeweizen. And uh, just so happens that Wolf's Ridge now offers one, uh, and that's it's pretty awesome. So give it a try. Very cool. I have to say, Platform Brewing Company, one of the cool stories about that place is the guy who manages the Platform uh, Brewery, like restaurant and bar, um, his name is Jacob Wooten. He's, uh, in terms of Independence Day and a couple of other huge music fests in town, this is a guy who used to run his own bar. He's a real entrepreneur. He's uh, done everything in town and uh, check out Platform. Also, bartending at Platform every once in a while is Phil Cogley, the Saturday Giant. So uh, it's filled with creative entrepreneurs, and they also have pretty good beers, so check them out. Anyway, let's go ahead and get into this interview. But before we do, let me tell you about how you can help us out or how we can help you out. So if you have a podcast or you want a podcast and you want to just get statistics for $5 a month to really help you understand where your listeners are coming from, or you want a hosting for $10 or $20 a month, they can host your actual podcast. media, you go to blueberry, B-L-U-B-R-R-Y.com, and then use entrepreneurs as your promo code. You will get one month free. That's blueberry.com, no ease, with entrepreneurs as your promo code. Now, that means you are you might save 5 or $20 for that first month. Now, if you're wondering what you can do with that money, we have an offer for you. So if you go to patreon.com slash entrepreneurspodcast, you can go ahead and support our podcast. The contributions start at $1 a month. That's right, just $1. For $1, you get to hear our beautiful voices every month. And for $5, you get not only the exclusive content you get at the normal uh, rate, but you also get mentioned on air. We'll talk about you like we talk about Rue and Clay and Muhammad all the time because they are our current patrons. And we have a lot of great goals. The first goal for us is to get to $20 a month so we can pay for our hosting fees and really just be sort of a net even with the money we're spending every month. But also, we have a lot of equipment goals that we want to get out there to sound better, and this is a great way to do it. And we do drink a lot of Wolfsridge beer, so we need money for that too. (laughs) So $1 a month, $5 a month, uh, then there's $10 a month, you get some free stickers. And if you're wondering, you know, $20 a month doesn't seem that much for hosting. That's correct. But you also have to remember, a lot of the people you'd like to hear us interview aren't necessarily available in Columbus right now. So you would be sending your favorite entrepreneurs on a plane to Boston, New York, Los Angeles, you name it. Yeah, in fact, we've already set up an interview with Raj Shisodia, the founder of the Conscious Capitalism Movement, and we'll be connecting with him in July for a amazing uh, opportunity. And we don't know whether we're going to do it over the phone and have crappy quality, or you're going to send us there by <laughs> by becoming patrons and paying for us to travel. And we would be putting the live stream on Patreon for you to watch. And we'd also have a special uh, advice 
only for our, our Patreon patrons, delivered directly from Raj Shasodia, and you can even ask him a question. If you start at the $10, we'll add another thing in there that says you can ask us a question that we'll ask directly to Raj. Right. That uh, that would also that brings me to uh, a really important point I wanted to make for you guys. We are uh, we really love doing Q and A's, so we're going to be moving towards doing more um, live streaming uh, events. So if you just to make sure that you get the notification and know when and where it happens, make sure to follow us. You can find us Entrepreneurs Podcast on Facebook, Entrepreneurs PC on Twitter or Instagram. Yes. Following us is really cool. We try to post a lot of content. Even entrepreneurs we don't end up talking to, we do post pictures and stuff like that. But if you do uh, participate in our Patreon, you don't have to follow any of that because you'll get the notifications directly to your phone. So with that being said, I'm sure you're all spending a lot of time going to those websites right now. Stop for the next 40 minutes or so <laughs> and listen to Chris Davison. Pour yourself a cold one. The, the head brewer of uh, Wolf's Ridge Brewing Company, which, by the way, the chef there was rated the number one chef in Columbus in December. So um, great food, great beer. Here's Chris. Hey, everyone. This is Daniel with Entrepreneurs Podcast. I'm here with Chris Davison, the head brewer at Wolf's Ridge Brewing down here in downtown Columbus. After spending some time cutting his teeth as a home brewer and hobbyist, Chris spent a couple years brewing for Columbus Brewing Company, and this August marks his three-year anniversary with Wolf's Ridge. With no signs of slowing down, although it looks like he may run out of space soon downstairs, Chris has raised the bar for Columbus beer lovers and become known as one of the most innovative brewers in the city. Welcome, Chris. Oh, great to have you. Great to be here, I should say. Well, you are hosting me. That's I am. True, yeah. I am in your brewery, so thank you for letting me uh, come and check it all out. Uh, so tell us, you know, wh- about yourself, your sort of journey to becoming a brewer. How did that all happen? Um, I feel like I have a s- typical and atypical, um, so to speak, journey towards becoming a craft brewer. Um, when I was younger, I was someone who wasn't really into drinking alcohol. Um, ironically, I didn't even have my first like real beer or full beer until I was 21. Um, growing up, I just didn't think it was something that interested me. And uh, once I started drinking, um, it was mostly spirits and the Smirnoffs and stuff the way a lot of people uh, start. Um, beer advertising didn't really um, hit the right bone for me. And uh, eventually my brother was really into it. My younger brother, ironically, was the one who kind of like started pushing me into good beer. And um, at the time, craft beer was still fairly small. So he was pushing me towards imports. It used to always be about the imports, try the imports. Those are way different or way better or more interesting than the American beer that was readily available uh, 10 years ago or whatever. Um, So I started trying a bunch of Belgian beers, some, some German and Irish beers, and that kind of got my foot in the door. And once I got a taste for that stuff, I started paying attention a little bit more to what was around me, and I started um, trying some things. I really like to credit um, Samuel Adams uh, commercials, actually, for helping push me into craft beer, because uh, unlike most uh, beer commercials you see on TV these days, their commercials talk about the ingredients, they talk about the quality and the process, and that kind of spoke to me rather than you know tr- selling a fake lifestyle and, and that kind of <laughs> rather than pickup trucks, and yeah, pickup trucks parties. or yeah, unrealistic parties or you, you know. You find you find women if you drink this beer that doesn't you know whatever I wasn't worried about um, keeping my my weight low or whatever so I wasn't paying attention to caloric intake um, 
And uh, so Samuel Adams and then Dogfish Head were probably the two main breweries that really got me into craft beer. Samuel Adams, like I said, because of kind of the marketing and it was readily available everywhere you went. Um, but then Dogfish Head, because of the, the more experimental, fun nature of the beer, the off-centeredness, as they kind of um, phrase it, um, at Dogfish Head, and uh, you know, just trying a bunch of different stuff. Um, eventually, after I used to write beer reviews online, and after logging like 2,000 unique beers, I kind of decided I could do this myself and taught myself how to homebrew. Um, at the time, I worked at UPS uh, second shift, and so. I wouldn't get home from work until 11 or midnight most nights, so I couldn't really attend the homebrew clubs. All their meetings were at like 8 p.m. at Winking Lizard or something, so it was impossible for me to really join a club and learn from other people in that respect, so I kind of just taught myself. Um, and after homebrewing for a few years, like most homebrewers, then you kind of feel like, oh, I can do this for a living. This seems really fun, and wanted to brew professionally. Um, and it took applying to a bunch of different breweries to kind of get me to where I am now. Um, I kind of really knew that I wanted to make a change in my life. Um, UPS really took care of me. Uh, great company to work for in a lot of respects, but I didn't enjoy going into work every day. And in my uh, late 20s, I really decided this is a good point in my life to make a, a move. If I'm going to do it now, I want to do it um, before I get much older. Um, and it's kind of scary to leave a job you're at for seven and a half years that has financial security and good benefits and everything. But um, I. I really pushed forward on, on making a move into craft beer, and I wasn't getting responses to job applications, so I decided maybe it would help if I moved to somewhere with a bigger beer community, and I really enjoyed Colorado and the Denver area, so I started looking for jobs out there. Actually started the process of transferring um, through UPS to find a job in Fort Collins, Colorado. Um, they only allowed transferring for school, so I um, applied and, and actually was accepted and enrolled in Colorado State's uh, business program in Fort Collins. And within two weeks of being accepted at Colorado State and being starting to prepare with my wife to uh, move across the country, uh, I got a job offer at uh, Columbus Brewing Company. Um, their sales rep, Tony Coder, called me up and said, hey, I know you're looking for a job at a brewery. This isn't very glamorous. It may not be what you want, but we need someone to wash kegs. <laughs> and so I went down and interviewed. Um, the head brewer at the time really kind of tried to convince me I didn't want the job. You know, it's, uh, being in a brewery is very physical. Um, it's wet, it's dirty, um, it's hot in the summer, cold in the winter. Typically, it's not temperature controlled in a warehouse environment. Um, luckily for myself, I was committed to the idea of being a brewer. UPS is the exact same conditions, just a little bit less wet. Um, right. So I kind of told them, you know, you know what, I, I actually want this job. Um, I know I can do it. And they told me, you may be brewing kegs for years. Don't expect anything else. Washing kegs for years. Yeah. But I decided, you know, I could move across the country to be closer to the beer scene to maybe one day become a brewery employee or I can just take a sure thing and not deal with all of that. So um, I accepted the job and uh, took a pay cut to do what I loved. And uh, luckily for me, after a few months of washing kegs every day, they needed help bottling and eventually brewing. So within a year, I was brewing there. It happened to be in the right place at the right time. Definitely, definitely. Luckily, you hadn't been two weeks after you moved yeah. hearing about this job. <laughs> like, oh, but Fort Collins is rated as one of the best places to live in the entire country. Yeah, I'm sure I would have been happy out there as well, but uh, things uh, long-term have really panned out in my favor in, in Columbus, and I love the city here. So That's great. I mean, when you think about all you've been through, then you uh, end up sort of going 
quickly sort of moving up to actually brewing beer at CBC, how did you find out about Wolf's Ridge? Had you eaten here before or uh, talked to the guys here or you knew the guy who brewed here before? I mean, how did that opportunity happen? Um, so after two years at Columbus Brewing Company, um, you know, I was kind of waiting for their expansion. They, you know, knew they were going to outgrow the current building they were in at the time. Um, they were, um, when I left, they actually had finally assigned uh, the paperwork on their loans and uh, had found their building and it was this awesome new production facility and um, you know I've been there a couple of times now and it's beautiful and I definitely missed a certain element of like training and uh, fun and excitement of building a new production scale brewery with them but I was kind of like waiting and waiting for that opportunity to like take part in something bigger and honestly, you know, part of my love in, in brewing and home brewing was designing my own beers. And so there wasn't a lot of opportunity for that um, at the time. Um, I was literally brewing IPA six days a week, um, um, every single day my last year that I was there. It was pretty rare to brew, like maybe one day a month, two of the four brewers would get to brew Bodie or Pale Ale or something. So it just, uh, it was more of a factory type environment. So despite how good the beer was, I wasn't crazy happy there. Um, and so I started looking around, and Wolfridge uh, had an opening, and I actually had not eaten here um, prior to seeing the opening. I hadn't um, really even had the beer. They were really small, didn't really distribute their beer to bars around town at the time, um, but the application or the, the job offering um, talked about, uh, you know, a big influence for the brewer to have to, like, on recipe development and uh, trying new things. Um, so I kind of came in. Um, a few days before my interview and uh, sat down at the restaurant and had some food, tried the beer for the first time. And really part of the reason I hadn't been in here, um, one of the guys I worked with kind of recommended that we didn't come. He wasn't as impressed with the beer and this is when they first opened and the food wasn't quite his thing. And I can appreciate that. The food is a little bit more upscale. It's a little bit pricier than uh, the average brew pub. And I think mostly he was kind of just uh, taken by surprise by the food was he was more mainly coming to try the beer. And he kind of told everyone at CBC, you know what, like, I don't know if I would bother um, checking it out. It's probably not your thing. Um, luckily for me, it actually is my thing. I really love the fact that the food is completely different than any other uh, brew pub you're going to find in the city. Um, really high end. Um, I, I can't afford to eat um, like this every single day, but I love, uh, I love this style of food. I love the differentiation. Um, that's one of those things I think that um, long-term has really made Wolf's Ridge special on the beer and the food side is that um, really uh, high quality on, on both sides of things. But uh, the beer was all really clean. Um, I was uh, excited about the direction that they were going, interviewed with uh, the owner, Alan Suter. Um, and again, I think uh, just my own personal drive and desire to do my own thing is what ultimately sold him. Uh, when I interviewed with him, he at the time really wanted someone with a strong science uh, and laboratory background. And that is something I didn't have, but I was able to convince him, like, I'll learn anything I need to learn um, to make myself valuable or fill the role. Um, you know, the, the two years I was at Columbus Brewing Company, I still did get my business uh, degree, my MBA through Colorado State. I had just switched to online classes. So I was going to school full time and working full time. So I kind of told him, like, I'll do whatever it takes. I'll take classes or read books, but I know how to make beer. And um, he hired me on on a trial basis for a couple brews because his brewer at the time had, had left to another brewery. And he kind of just needed to get things organized and up to speed um, downstairs in the brewery and said, this is no guarantee of work. But uh, after a couple days of like 
talking to me and seeing what I knew on a practical scale. And then, like he keeps saying, my passion kind of sold it for him. Um, luckily, they, they brought me on. And, uh, and now, um, obviously, like he's kind of given me free reign to do anything that I want uh, within reason or within the affordability. And, uh, you know, so we're doing barrel aging and sours and lagers and smoked beers and a lot of things that uh, three years ago, I guarantee he never thought this brewery would be putting out. Yeah, not to mention nobody else in town is doing a number of those things. When you talked a lot about the restaurant itself, and that's what attracted me first because I had heard the food was really good and I started coming here. You know, uh, Chef uh, Lassick, mm-hmm. he was rated as the best chef in the entire city by Columbus Underground in December. And when you have a relationship where you have, it's not just, I, I, if we open another brew pub, I'm going to shoot myself in Columbus, right? Mm-hmm. Like, why does everything have to be just like burgers and Beer, like breweries can be better. Yeah. I think Wolf's Ridge is a perfect example of that. What does the relationship look like between you and Chef in terms of determining what comes up next or what's going to pair well with something? Who comes up with the creative energy first and then decides, oh, we could pair it with this or we could recommend this to the customers? I think um, beer is uh, such a diverse thing. And then uh, we have so many unique beers here that um, luckily we can each kind of take our own creative freedom and we don't have to um, really plan um, menu or beer off of each other all that much. Um, he usually, uh, but when they're getting ready to start their new seasonal menu, will always uh, ask me what beers are going to be around for the next three months. What can I kind of rely on if I'm going to put it in the menu? But if we run out of a beer or um, if, if something changes, um, then there's almost always a really good substitute. And so um, in that respect, um, we each kind of like go our own direction and um, there's always a pairing that, that can be made. Um, regardless of uh, how crazy either of us really want to go. So I think that we don't really have to be um, constrained in that sense, but uh, but then we do try to like collaborate on, all right, yeah, so we're going to have Hefeweizen through April, so go ahead and make, you know, a salad dressing with it or whatever, you know, you don't have to worry about us running out of that beer. Oh, that's important to know. Like if he gets, he's really excited about something, you're like, well, there's only one barrel of that, yeah. so... <laughs> you can't use that for salad dressing. Yeah, and, and luckily we're making more and more beer than we ever were before. And so um, I guess uh, because we're making more and selling more, there's a greater risk of it running out to some extent. But on the other hand, we have more on hand. Mm-hmm. And so um, things are a little bit more predictable um, than two years ago. Uh, a couple years ago, uh, the first time we brewed milk stout, he was putting that into a dessert, I believe. And um, the sales weren't high enough for us to ke- always keep it around. Every once in a while, it'd be gone for a couple months. And then he'd have to buy cases of someone else's milk stout to put in there because then it was kind of committed to the menu. Now that's kind of not really the case now. Like I almost have more beers than I can fit on the taps, um, which is um, a crazy but good problem to have when we have 20 different beers on. Yeah. Speaking of taps, you have your own uh, statue. You have your own tap designed (laughs) after you. Yeah. Uh, I don't – was it like uh, in – one of the local magazines, they all did a profile of you and a couple other brewers in town. Where did those taps come from? Why did they start uh, carving them in the shape of local brewers? Um, they kind of just uh, wound up being a, a more of a charitable um, endeavor. Um, they they wound up uh, raffling, or not raffling, uh, auctioning uh, the tap handles off oh, okay. um, to raise money for a local school. But I think it was also kind of a nice promotional opportunity for this company to... Um, 
uh, use their like 3D printer, and then they had a local artist hand paint each one, like the local breweries. They had an event um, where they had all 30 tap handles with a beer from each brewery on tap, I believe at Barley's Brucadia mm-hmm. um, a few months ago. And then they had an art gallery showing of all these uh, tap handles uh, a couple weeks ago. Um, invited most of the brewers down to like pour some beer and like be present and, and I'm not really sure what happened but they took a lot of pictures of me holding my tap handle which is kind of <laughs> weird um, but yeah that was really kind of cool a uh, little thing uh, one of those things I never thought would ever happen Or I love the story of you know you getting you have this degree in philosophy and political science you start making beer at home and you're like I'm going to do that I'm just going to leave this career that I've sort of built up at UPS start making beer at home and Four years later, you have a tap handle <laughs> that is made in your likeness. That doesn't happen to most people. Yeah. Um, what inspires you when you are trying to come up with what's coming next or what the new thing is? I mean, do you follow trends in beer making? Is it you see something like, wow, that's really interesting. I want to try that out. Or here's a beer that I never tried to make before. What inspires you? Um, yeah, it kind of comes from all over the place. Um, some of it is um, just... Uh, rooted in the desire to uh, outdo myself or to try something new and push my my own boundaries. So, you know, uh, one of my favorite styles of beer to drink is German lager. And then within that subset, um, German smoked lager or Rausch beer um, is one of my favorite styles of beer to to drink. And uh, I really love brewing it. So uh, Buchenrauch, which is uh, our smoked lager, um, has been really popular, but a not crazy fast seller. I mean, smoked beer is, is something that is a little bit of a personal preference. Some people are turned off by it. Some people love it. Um, and so it's one we typically have on all year round, but it does uh, run out from time to time. Um, but last summer I brewed um, a smoked Hellas lager. So the Rausch beer is a little bit darker in color, a little bit higher in alcohol. And we brewed this four and a half percent golden smoked Hellas lager. And it was almost more intensely smoked than um, the uh, darker Rausch beer. And I thought, all right, this is like going to be really weird. We only brewed 10 barrels instead of 15 barrels of it. And it actually sold way faster. Um, I, I actually enjoyed drinking it more. And it was crazy popular, but I kind of did it just because I wanted to expand my horizons and do something I hadn't done before. And so there's a lot of our really classically brewed styles that I do simply because, because I can, because I want to you know, push myself and try something new. Um, the more crazier stuff, I draw inspiration all over the place. It might be another brewery. It may be uh, food. So a lot of the weird special single keg infusions that we do, I try to think of it along terms of, uh, of food. Um, and so I'm, I by no means am a chef myself. Um, I don't even really enjoy cooking that much. But I feel <laughs> like I kind of in, um, intuitively am pretty good at flavor combinations that um, would probably work with food. And, and if it works in food, I think it can translate to beer. Every once in a while, I'll see another brewery put together an infusion that doesn't make any sense to me and like doesn't sound like it'd be good if it was in a food dish. And so if, if I'm thinking that, um, my instinct is that beer probably isn't that good either. Um, that's, you know, that, that doesn't necessarily mean the beer is going to be bad, but I feel like I kind of need to have that instinctual inkling that it's going to make sense. You know, it has to make sense from a culinary standpoint if you're putting... Um, ginger and lemongrass into a beer, like, does that make sense with the beer you're putting it into? Um, Some styles that may work, but if you're putting it into an imperial stout that's like coffee and roasty tasting, that doesn't make any sense. Why would you do that? Right. Um, And I've seen stuff like that, so I feel like if it makes sense, you're more likely to have a successful beer. Um, For instance, we took that smoked lager 
uh, Buchen Rauch um, for our last bottle release, and I wanted to infuse it, but it's this savory, smoky beer. So I'm more constrained than I am with the cream ale where I could put coffee in it or vanilla or cinnamon or fruit or any other number of things, and that ingredient is showcased and it's not gonna clash with the beer. Um, but with a smoked lager, you can't just throw oranges in there. It's probably going to be a horrible flavor. Yeah, it sounds really bad. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so uh, I really wanted to use rosemary in it, but I felt like rosemary alone would have been not enough or kind of weird. Um, and I was talking to one of my other brewers, and I was like, man, like, if I, if I, I'm thinking of like a pork chop, and if a uh, chef was going to make a pork chop, with rosemary and and smoke, like what else would he put in there? And and my brewer said, well, you know what? Like I think the last time I had a pork chop at Wolf's Ridge, there were like cherries um, in a sauce with it. And I said that makes perfect sense. And so I went and I bought some dried cherries, cooked them down on the stove with uh, fresh rosemary, infused it into the beer, and we called it Cherry Mary Buchenrauch. It was awesome. It was a delicious beer. I'm going to do it again because of that. That's great. Um, so yeah, culinary, and then sometimes just other breweries. So our best-selling beer. Um, Daniel, I know you love Clear Sky Daybreak, um, mm -hmm. is inspired by a beer um, from another brewery, Ballast Point, um, in uh, San Diego, California. I was on a trip out there, visited the brewery, and tried this new beer called Calm Before the Storm. It wasn't even in bottles at the time. And when they served it to me, it was this golden beer, and I was expecting a, a stout. I thought it was a miniature version of their beer, uh, Victory at Sea, which is like a coffee, vanilla, imperial stout. Um, and I almost told them this is not the beer I ordered, but I didn't want to offend anyone. Uh, I was a visiting brewery and they were giving me free beer. So I'm like, I'll just drink it. I don't care. Um, the minute I smelled it and took a, a taste, I realized it was the right beer. And then I was like, how did they, did they do that? I didn't ask them. I didn't want to like steal their thunder um, or their method. So I kind of just went home and started thinking about how would I replicate that flavor um, using my methodology or my ingredient um, portfolio and uh, started messing around with uh, one-line coffee and the vanilla beans that we work with. And uh, it started as a single keg, did it another single keg months later, did bombers of it, now we have it in six packs and it's now our best-selling beer. Um, so, um, so Daybreak is now outselling Clear Sky. It's outselling Clear Sky, it's outselling our IPAs, and IPA is uh, the fastest growing, it has been um, beer style in the country for years and years, mm -hmm. and uh, the largest segment of craft beer in the country for years and years. So for a coffee vanilla cream ale to outsell uh, an IPA um, is pretty insane to think about. That's and, great. And I hope our IPAs are, are very good as well. <laughs> I think it's just, uh, you know, this city kind of wants something different. There's a lot of great IPAs being brewed in Columbus. Yeah, and I think that there is a lot of people when I go out with them, if they're going to have beer, they'll say, I don't like IPAs. Like that's something in their mind. They yeah. know the name IPA and they've decided they don't like it. Mm -hmm. And so they won't even try it. And then uh, when it comes to um, light beer, they're like, oh, well, this is a great light beer. That's what they yeah. call, you know, um, cream ale or, you know, having a low, you know, what is it, 5.1% ABV is also attractive to people because sometimes you get those 9 or 10% Definitely. beers, it gets a little crazy. You, know, you mentioned the craft beer sort of trends, and there was a New York Times article that Jim, I think it was Jim Koch, wrote, who is the one of the founders of the Boston Brewing Company, yeah. uh, which is Sam Adams and all of that, right? Mm -hmm. he, his, the question he wrote was, is it last call for craft beer? Like, is craft beer dying? Which is odd because, I mean, like you said, he inspired a lot of craft beer people mm -hmm. with the way they talked about, romanced the idea of beer making. What was his point, and do you agree, or like, 
what do you think is the next level for craft beer in Columbus or just in the country? Yeah, um, I think uh, his point um, also coincides with um, a comment that I recently read from Ken Grossman, who is the founder and owner of Sam, or, uh, Sierra Nevada. Um, so Sam Adams is the largest craft brewer in the country, and Sierra Nevada is the second largest craft brewer in the country. And they both have similar views that um, craft beer is changing in this country. Um, uh, Jim Cook, his uh, concern is largely on the distribution side, access to ingredients, um, competition, especially with um, Anheuser-Busch InBev buying a portion of Miller Coors and just the market share that they now control. Um, Ken Grossman's concern um, is similar, but also related to um, the sheer number of small upstart breweries, and a lot of them don't necessarily have the same uh, respect and reverence for um, the history and tradition of brewing, um, learning things all the right way, um, either formal classes or training before opening your own brewery, um, and uh, desire to put out a quality product and the knowledge of how to do that. And so between those two um, viewpoints, um, I think there is concern, but I'm not personally for where Wolfsridge is at, um, I'm not worried at all. And so for craft beer as a whole, I think very large breweries like Sam Adams and Sierra Nevada, New Belgium, um, they're worrying because they are so big now, they have to answer to shareholders or in some cases employee owners. Um, they have to make a certain margin to survive. They have to sell so many hundreds of thousands or millions of barrels of beer a year um, to maintain what they've got. And now they are competing with not only the big guys who are ever gaining market share and access to ingredients and able to undercut on pricing, but they're also now competing with all these um, small young breweries. And there's such a focus on, on local and fresh and uh, unique one-off style beers. It's hard for um, the largest craft brewer in the country to put out a new beer every month and sell it quickly. Um, where for me, I can make 15 barrels of something and you know, weeks later I can make 15 barrels of something different and both will sell, people want that. And it's harder for them to pivot. And so they're, I think, a little bit more concerned with the market as a whole, the traditional um, large craft brewer is going to struggle a little bit um, because they're competing um, in ways that I'm not competing with the macro breweries. I don't really. Yeah, every time another local a, brewer comes and takes a tap, that's one less tap that Sam Adams has, or one less tap that Sierra Nevada has at the bar. Mm -hmm. You know, and I think personally, as somebody who loved craft beer before there was this huge brewery scene, whether it was in Columbus or anywhere else. I would go and seek out and specifically not order, you know, Bud Light, Coors, all the huge InBev, Miller mm -hmm. Coors brands and seek out Sam Adams. But now that there's so much options, I want to try whatever's new. Exactly. I want to try the next new thing. I don't need Oktoberfest. Like, yeah. I, I get it. I want to try the new stuff. You know, whether if it's a smoked lager, that's what I want to see, whatever that brand new thing is, because... I've tasted everything else. I want to see what that, that new stuff is, and especially if it's local, especially if it's a partnership of a couple local businesses. Uh, I think that's probably the problem, is that he's speaking from this uh, position of somebody who's fighting to hang on to something yeah. and now fighting two, a two-front war mm -hmm. <laughs> with the big players and the smaller ones. Uh, it's A lot of people might call it the Walmart effect. Like Once you start selling something to huge amounts, uh, you rely on that business just to keep in business. Yeah. Um, 
So a lot of people will say, well, they'll get this contract with Walmart, for example, sell uh, a million cases of something, and the next year Walmart says, well, we we don't want to use you guys anymore. But they've already built the factory mm -hmm. to make sure that they can <laughs> they can make enough beer to sell enough cases, and then what happens to that business? And you're just scrambling. Yeah, yeah. And there, there's this concern now because the big guys are not only not only is Imbev buying out Miller Coors, another macro brewery, but then those breweries are also buying small craft breweries and launching those brands on a national level. And some people are aware of what's happening and not everyone is. Um, some people care and some don't. Um, I always you know, will say people can vote with their, with their dollars and they will vote with their taste buds. But um, if, if it was clearer that um, a brewery like 10 Barrel Brewing, which I don't even know if they're in Ohio yet, but they're a small uh, Pacific Northwest brewery that got bought up by InBev years back. And the, the brewery name itself, 10 Barrel, is referring, I believe, to their original 10 Barrel size brew house, which is nothing. Um, Anheuser-Busch brews something like 900 barrels per batch, like per brew. Um, so they're on a scale that's completely different, but 10 Barrel is, is now this production scale brewery that's producing tens of thousands of barrels of beer a year. Um, and so the name 10 Barrel refers to this little craft thing, but no longer is that brand, now owned by InBev, um, this craft, craft brand. Um, but when they come to Ohio, you're going to see bottles um, and packaging um, that is branded as if they are a small independent brewery. And so now there's this, this argument that you know, should they be required to disclose that this is a, a brewery owned by Budweiser? Um, will that change people's perceptions when they go to make a, a purchase at the bar or at the grocery store? Um, so yes, you know, Sam Adams, uh, Sierra Nevada, they're very worried about that as well. Well, I think that um, when you start talking about all these other beers, my next thought is, is there people in town that you love their beers and are excited about what they're doing? Like if you were out and you had your choice of local beer to pick from, is there one that you typically go to that's not yours? Um, sure. Um, within Columbus, uh, if, if I have to choose um, Columbus beer, I'm typically reaching for something like Seventh Sun. Um, Lineage is putting out some really good beer right now. Um, within Ohio, I still uh, hold a lot of respect for uh, Brad Clark at Jackie O's. He's actually one of the reasons why I'm brewing the type of beer I am today. So, um, you know, my, one of my initial influences was Dogfish Head, and I feel like he almost went to an even greater extreme on weird and uh, funky, quirky beers that work really well. Um, he really understands ingredients and the creative side of craft brewing. Um, just uh, this weekend, uh, my wife and I went down to a bottle release at Jackie O's in Athens, and it's something I used to do all the time as a home brewer and don't get to do that often anymore as a professional brewer. I'm just too busy and um, have too much beer at home anyways as it is. <laughs> it's, like, I need to drink more of my own beer, let alone other people's beer. But um, uh, Jackie O's is still pushing the boundaries um, across the board with the styles of beer that they're brewing, and so it's definitely something that I enjoy drinking and something that... Um, I try to, you know, um, match in the level of quality and uh, flavor and uniqueness in my own beer. Do you think you have a, a beer mentor, somebody that you call and say, hey, I'm about to do this, is this crazy? Um, I don't know if I have anyone that's like hyper close that I might run everything by, but uh, depending on what I'm doing, I may reach out um, to another local uh, brewer here in Columbus that I've worked with before. Um, if it's like sheer process or equipment related or 
um, finding a cheaper source for uh, tape or something uh, like that, I may reach out to one of the uh, guys I used to work with at Columbus Brewing Company. Um, if it's, uh, you know, like a really weird idea, I may bounce that off of um, Colin at Seven Sun or Brad at Jackie O's. Um, I, I want to start reaching out to some guys. We're about to start releasing sour beer. And so um, locally right now, people who are putting out consistent, good bottled sour beer are Little Fish and Jackie O's out of Athens. And so I might be reaching out to them soon to uh, get some advice and, uh, you know, start doing some more long-term planning on, on how I want to focus that program and uh, maybe learn from their own trials and tribulations so I don't have to go through quite as much myself. Yeah, that's smart. I mean, is there um, some top secret underground club of brewers in town where you all get together <laughs> and share beer that nobody else is allowed to taste? No, I don't. I don't think so. But uh, you know, a lot of times you may wind up finding stuff like that with uh, when you visit another brewer. So, um, like we just uh, last month, um, a bunch of Wolfsters guys and people from Market Garden um, visited Urban Artifact down in Cincinnati in the three breweries. Uh, we were all collaborating on a golden sour ale fermented with fruits, finished with coffee, and it's kind of influences from all three breweries. Urban Artifact specializes in um, in uh, uh, acidic uh, sour type beer, and uh, so we went down there, and those guys they kind of brought out some bottles that they were planning to release that they weren't sure if they were ready or not. They were conditioning in the bottle, needed some time to age. And uh, so um, one of their brewers, Brett, brought out uh, a series of bottles and asked for our opinion and was sharing some stuff that the public had not yet seen. So uh, um, I do get uh, some previews sometimes um, or, uh, or scraps that may not always be left up to the public anymore that um, brewers may share. That's great. Yeah. Perks of the job. <laughs> uh, so what are you excited about right now? Is it the sour beers that you're really pumped about? Things that you can't wait to share with your customers? Yeah, uh, we've been teasing that we are working on um, the sour program for probably a year and a half, two years now. And um, I really feel bad that we didn't have beer available sooner because I hate, uh, like, the minute something becomes public, people are wondering about it and they ask me about it. Um, to some extent, um, creating those beers can take a lot longer than a normal beer. And also, to some extent, um, we're trying to do it the right way. And so I don't want to just release a beer just because it's sour. It doesn't taste right. So we had a couple barrels that um, aren't perfect, and I could have released them a month or two ago and decided not to. Um, we may wind up dumping them. We may use them as a blending component in any brewery that's done significant sour um, uh, beer aging and brewing and blending. Uh, will tell you that it's important to have components of uh, different uh, differently flavored beers so one may be hyper acidic and you only put 10 percent into the blend but that'll add acidity and brightness to a beer um, but you don't want 100 percent of it and then another one adds like a funky component one adds an oakier component or a note of cherry or something um, and so I, I hope we can use this as a blending beer but i don't know if we'll release um, this first sour that we started over two years ago to the public in its raw form because i want to do it right um, we want to have a whole separate series of equipment that we finally just ordered the last bit of it. Um, separate hoses, a separate pump, um, separate fittings. So um, the bacteria and, uh, and yeast that we use to make sour beer, um, uh, you do not at all want in your clean beer. Um, if it gets in there, um, it'll ferment uh, much longer. 
um, and in unpredictable ways cause uh, flavors that um, might be undesirable. And um, you know, some breweries will or people will call it an infection, which is kind of an improper term, but it's a contaminant. And um, you know, I was talking to you earlier when I showed you around the brewery that um, sanitation and cleaning is a huge part of our job here. But if we don't do it 100% um, perfectly and we get some of this Brettanomyces um, yeast into our clean beer, it could potentially grow into the soft parts, the gaskets of our tanks or of our equipment. And then every um, beer that subsequently touches those gaskets may pick up some yeast cells of Brettanomyces that may eventually cause bottles to taste bad or explode or overcarbonate or, you know, kegs to, to be weird. Um, so. Um, we've invested a lot of uh, money and time to be careful and deliberate and produce the best quality beer that we can and do it the right way. And so that's partially why we haven't done it to date. But now we have some stuff that I believe you know, we've done the right way. It tastes beautiful, and I cannot wait to uh, get it into some kegs and bottles uh, around town and into people's hands. I'm really excited about this, this first beer. That sounds awesome. Do you have a timeline? Yeah, so we set a date for it. Um, the beer is going to be called Terre du Sauvage, um, which uh, I sometimes get um, flack, especially from uh, some of the owners for my uh, beer names that are in foreign languages. But um, <laughs> it is kind of like a common uh, thing for uh, wild, funky, farmhouse-style type uh, beers or saisons to be given French names. And part of that harkens back to the fact that these beers um, traditionally are brewed in France or Belgium, uh, where the native language is uh, French. Um, and so that, it, but that's also just a trend in, in American style, like farmhouse beers. Um, so uh, it means uh, wild earth, um, and it's uh, just referring to the fact that it's more a wild, uh, unrestrained type of fermentation and uh, different acidic, uh, funky um, uh, flavor profile. But uh, the date we set for that release is May 18th. It's uh, the Thursday of Columbus Beer Week, and uh, we'll have bottles available and limited amount of uh, kegs that we'll get around town of that beer. That's great. It sounds like it'll be a really cool event, especially in the middle of, um, it's what is it called, Beer Week? Yeah, so um, this will be, I believe, the third annual Columbus Craft Beer Week. Um, Cleveland has done one for years and years, and uh, just three years ago, Columbus uh, started doing its own Beer Week. And it's really just a showcase of craft beer, um, not only local, but it is there is a local, um, a, com a very large local component to Columbus Craft Beer Week, and it's a way to showcase uh, craft beer that's being made um, and everyone that supports craft beer, so um, some of the retailers. So the um, headlining sponsor for the last three years is Giant Eagle because they sell so much craft beer oh, wow. in bottles. Um, but all the local bars will host, host events with local breweries or um, brewers visiting from Founders or Bells or something, um, themed events with barrel-aged beers or sour beers or whatever else. And it's just a way to help create awareness um, for really the craft beer scene as a whole. That should be a blast. Definitely check out those events. Um, so to wrap up here, this is where you give advice. So if I've never brewed beer before and I wanted to start with some simple beer with a high rate of success for a home brewer, what would I start with? Um, really where I started was uh, reading, not even brewing. Um, I, it was really important for me to understand what I was doing and try to understand how to do it well, um, uh, especially because I was teaching myself and I didn't have uh, an experienced hand on hand to uh, tell me this is wrong or do it this way or like get ready to do that. Um, so I really recommend where I started was John Palmer's How to Brew. 
Um, really cheap book. You can buy it on Amazon for probably like 10, 11 bucks in paperback form in the most latest edition. Uh, but the first edition, which is still relevant, um, not a whole lot has changed, is actually free uh, digitally on, the, on his website. So you can oh, look great. that up. So I started there, then bought the book, took a lot of notes. It's very simple. It's, it's worded for a beginning home brewer. So it's not too scientific, it's not too complicated, and that'll walk you through the basics of like what to do, what not to do, and if something goes wrong, here's how you can maybe um, tweak it. But, uh, and then from there, I would buy a kit. Um, there are uh, really simple kits that are either 100% inclusive of everything you might need, or um, inclusive of everything other than like a, a pot or something to boil with. Um, and it really kind of depends how much money you want to spend. You can probably make several gallons of homebrew uh, for 50 bucks, uh, maybe even less than that. Um, I tried to go a little bit bigger because I anticipated wanting to do this hobby, so I bought a 10-gallon uh, turkey fryer um, from Walmart for like 80 bucks, and it had a propane burner, a 10-gallon uh, stock pot. Um, it was aluminum, which is much cheaper than stainless steel. Stainless steel is recommended, but it's very expensive. And then uh, I went to northernbrewer.com. Um, I don't really know the best place to turn you to that's not Northern Brewer. Um, all I can say is I personally do not support that business anymore because they are now also owned by Anheuser-Busch. <laughs> um, so uh, I don't think the company has changed at all just yet, but um, I kind of don't really support them. Uh, but there are other online homebrew retailers and, uh, and there are local ones as well. Um, I think there's one in Westerville called Buckeye Brewcraft. Uh, Gentiles uh, down, um, I believe it's on King Road near the campus area is very good as well. Um, and then there's one out, um, I don't think it's in Black Lake, but uh, there's one out there as well. I can't remember the name off the top of my head. So there are local uh, homebrew shops as well, so you can go to there and actually get advice. Um, but yeah, you just buy a kit and extract is the way to go. If you want to use real grains, it's way more complicated and way more time consuming. And just follow the instructions um, often provided with the kit or that uh, are provided on uh, Palmer's How to Brew book. Um, and uh, the main thing is just follow a few pieces of advice like temperature and cleanliness as best as you possibly can. And uh, to some extent, just be patient and uh, try not to worry too much you know, is really the best advice. If you get too paranoid about everything, you may like overwork your recipe or overwork um, your equipment and your beer. Um, but uh, it's a very, very fun hobby to have. Um, and uh, at the end of the day, it's only beer. So if it doesn't turn out great the first time, learn from that, take notes. And if you take notes um, of times, temperatures, um, uh, ingredient profiles and then how it tastes at the end, then that gives you a baseline on how to tweak it the next time around. That's great. I think that uh, there's probably a ton of people that have thought about doing it or like me, I see two or three of my friends on Facebook that are now like home brewing and talking about bottling their stuff and tasting it with their friends. And my thought is anything I would make would come out disgusting. <laughs> the whole house would smell like yeast and uh, I would probably have to move out. <laughs> it's basically where I am. But uh, I'll check out that book, though, especially because the first edition is free. Yeah. And that's John Palmer's How to Brew. Mm -hmm. Very cool. So this is the, the part of the podcast we get to where we say it's time to plug your business. So how do people find Wolf's Ridge? How do they find your beer? Where do they go to learn all this stuff? Yeah, so uh, Wolf's Ridge, um, the physical location is 215 North 4th Street. 
um, basically the intersection of Spring and Fourth. Um, you can see the elevator production brewery and tap room um, from our restaurant front door. It's right across the street, uh, right across Spring. So if you're familiar from the, uh, with that, um, there are parking lots almost completely surrounding our building. Um, they are pay lots, so just be aware of, of that and the time restrictions on uh, the, the lot in front of our tap room. There's meters around. The parking really isn't too horrible around here as long as like you know you might have to pay. Um, but beyond that, um, come in. Our, our restaurant and tap room are open six days a week. We're closed every Monday, so bear that in mind. Um, brunch is highly popular, but I recommend uh, reservations um, if you're at all certain that you're going to check out brunch just in case because it gets so busy. Um, the food is amazing. I, that's one of the first things I tell people when we're at a beer fest out of state even. Before I talk about our beer, I talk about the food because I want people to, um, if they're at a beer fest, they're already here for the beer. So also check out our food. Like we talked about earlier, it's one of our differentiators. Um, uh, I think our best value um, food-wise, as we talked about, it's not the cheapest food around, but it's, it's very reasonable. Um, would be brunch um, for what you're getting and the cost. Um, I think it's the best uh, meal you can get here. Um, I'm also not even a breakfast person. Um, I skip breakfast most days. I am not big on eating eggs um, or really sweet things super in the morning, like pancakes or whatever. Um, and I love our brunch. Um, so that's my plug for brunch. The dinner menu is off the charts um, in regards to plating on down to flavor. Um, the tap room in the backside um, shares an address, um, but you can access it through our restaurant or on Hickory Street, the alley on the side of the building. Um, same deal, it uh, opens three o'clock during the week, uh, except for Monday and then noon on Saturday, Sunday. And we have 20 beers on tap, uh, all in-house beers uh, back there. And that's really my playground to create really fun, unique beers. If you go uh, on a Monday and on a Friday, you will probably see, not see the exact same draft list between those two days because things are always rotating and it's always fresh and fun. Um, we do our bottle releases out of there where we do really limited release stuff. Um, it's always on our Facebook page. Um, and our website if you want more information on stuff like that. Um, we've got an event going on in there every day for Columbus Beer Week starting on uh, May 12th, I believe, through the 20th. Um, so check that out. Lots of fun, unique things going on, on back there. Um, as far as outside of Wolf's Ridge, um, we're available in most local Columbus uh, grocery stores, so Kroger, Whole Foods, John Eagle. Um, I'm not sure if we're in fresh time yet, but there's a couple of those that we're about to be in there, I believe. Um, most uh, craft beer shop, bottle shops, um, are going to carry our beer, and then we're in something like 150, 200 restaurants on draft as well. So it's not too hard to run across our beer these days. You certainly have accomplished a lot in uh, the almost three years you've been here because none of that existed before you showed up. <laughs> there was no, like, uh, Wolf's Ridge on, ta on tap anywhere in town. You couldn't buy any beer in grocery stores. I mean, I, uh, and I used to have to come here all the time and buy very expensive dinners so that I could have the beer here. <laughs> but uh, I like that you mentioned brunch, by the way. In fact, uh, my partner and I had our 35th uh, birthday brunch. We had like 20, 30 people here for brunch and brought them all here because we wow. said, you need to come to Wolf's Ridge. And uh, it was great. It was the first time they had all seen it. But it's a beautiful space, a great event space. Anytime you want to bring somebody out for uh, a date or uh, a beer sampling, it's definitely a good place to come. And I recommend you have the, the beer tasting where you're, it's like six or seven different beers. Uh, yeah, the flight. The flight. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the flights are, are super value too in terms of like what you can get. And usually I end up with a flight 
drink them all and go, okay, I'll have another glass of this. Yeah. And, it, you know, you don't walk out too tipsy. Because <laughs> it's just a little bit of each one. Yeah. But uh, that's a great way to taste the beers. Thank you so much, Chris, for letting us be here. And if you guys are wondering what all that sound is in the back, there's some bottling going on downstairs and some air compressors yeah. and all kinds of things. Uh, it's a working brewery. So thank you for your time. And uh, everyone, head out to uh, Wolf's Ridge and check out the beer and the food. Yeah, definitely. Thanks for having me, Daniel. Thank you.